Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast where we dig into God's Word together and find life through Jesus Christ. My name is Charlie Matz, filling in for Ben Blakey. It's Monday, the 17th of August, 2020. Tools. They are absolutely necessary to get certain jobs done. Some jobs just can't be done without the right tool. Have you ever fixed something or tried to put something together and have you tried to do it with the wrong tool? You might have a really funny story or maybe a tragic story about using the wrong tool. I mean, on a smaller note, recently I tried to hammer a nail in to hang something on the outside of my house. And after a lot of struggle, I realized that not only did I need a power drill and a screw, but I even needed to drill a pilot hole first because of the material. It just wouldn't work. And even if, despite our best efforts, uh, we can't make it work, we're not going to give up and never finish that project. No, you and I, we're going to go to the hardware store and pick up the right tool, or we're going to borrow it from a neighbor. We're going to do what we need to do to get the job done, but we'll search to find the right tool to complete the job up to our standards. And You know, I've heard a pastor say in the past that God uses people as his tools to complete his will. And we want to be one of those right tools for him to pick up. We want to be useful, so sharp and not rusty and ready to go. And we need to be willing. And today we read on in Esther in this fascinating story that continues with plot twists and lots of drama. But I want us to recognize this. I want us to see how Esther is put on the spot to be used by God. She has an opportunity to be used by God as a tool for him to see his will come to pass for the Jewish people. So we pick it up here in chapter four, just kind of highlighting what's going on here. Mordecai reacts to Haman's decree for all of the Jewish people to be exterminated. He gets a message to Esther that she's got to do something about this. She says, if she talks to the king, she might die. And then we pick it up here in verse 12. It says, and they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. I mean, Mordecai understood that God, based on his promises, is going to save the Jews. And so Esther, you have a choice. You either put yourself on the line here and and do what's right, or someone else will be used. This is her moment. This is her moment to be used as a tool for God to pick up and use in this story. And it goes on, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. There's our tool analogy again. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And uh, my young women will also feast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther ordered him. You know, Esther understands what's at stake here, but she answers the call. She is a useful tool. She's willing. Uh, she, She has the right, humble attitude toward a holy and sovereign God, and she's willing to be used. And so in chapter five, we see in verses one and two, it says this, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. This is the big moment. Is Esther going to perish? And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. God has a plan he's going to see come to pass with Esther. And she's going to be used in the rest of the story in a mighty way. And it says, and he held out to 
Esther, the golden scepter that was in his hand. This was his way of saying, hey, we're all good. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. So then Esther holds a feast for the king and Haman. Haman plots to hang Mordecai on a gallows 50 cubits high, this giant gallows. This is part of the irony of the story, part of the beauty of the storytelling here that God is weaving. Haman is going to try to hang Mordecai in this extraordinary fashion. And we're going to learn later that he's basically building his own death machine. And so in chapter six, it says the king can't sleep and ask for this book, the book of memorable deeds. I mean, how providential is this, that there's a book of memorable deeds? Well, guess who did a memorable deed? It says he reads of Mordecai's warning of the two eunuchs and discovers that he's never been honored. So Haman comes to the king and he says, uh, you know, in Esther 6, 6, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman thinks the king is talking about him when he's really talking about Haman. This is such a good story. So starting in verse 6, 7, Haman describes a lavish tribute. He's talking about what he should have done to him, which is actually for the enemy of Haman, who he's looking to hang in Mordecai. And then Haman takes Mordecai throughout the city to honor him publicly once he realizes what this is all about. And Haman goes home and basically says, I'm done. And his family says, yeah, you're done. This is this is not good. But I, I think it's important to remember that God doesn't break his promises. I want to kind of think back to how Mordecai was confident that God would provide deliverance to the Jewish people because of his promises to the Jewish people. Mordecai is so confident in this that he tells Esther back in 414 that God will find someone else to use if you don't step up to the plate here. And and I think to apply this to our lives, this is a great opportunity to stop and think about two things, really. First, what are the promises that God has made in scripture that maybe you need to remember more often when things look difficult, bad, or dire. Perhaps, uh, you know, that nothing and no one can ever snatch you from the hand of Jesus in John 10, 28, or perhaps that he will provide for your every need. We're going to read later here in Luke. And then second, I think, where has God put you for such a time as this? Perhaps pray about this and ask God to give you the strength to follow through like Esther and be a willing tool for God to use. God will use someone to fulfill his will. And what a wonderful privilege to be the tool that he picks up to use. God doesn't need you or me like we need tools to get a home project done because God has an infinite amount of power to see his will come to pass. However, God has given us the privilege of being a tool that he chooses to use. I don't know about you, but when God looks down into his proverbial toolbox to keep the analogy going, I want to be chosen as the man for the job. Are we useful, not rusty and ready to be used, knowing the scriptures and having a high view of God in prayer? And are we willing no matter the consequences? Because Esther was willing to go to death. And as we read on in Psalm 97, perhaps this is some encouragement in light of those two questions. It says this, Zion hears and is glad. We start in verse eight here. And the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. There's that word, delivers them. That's the promise that Mordecai was believing in. Light is sown for the righteous 
and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Maybe this is a, a time to pray for verses 8 through 12 here in Psalm 97 and pray over those two questions. What are the scriptures that you and I need to be reminded of that contain the promises of God? And then where does God have us for such a time as this? Let's jump forward to Luke 12, 22 through 34. And I want to read a portion of this starting in verse 29. It says, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Thinking back to the promises that Mordecai was believing in and why he could be confident that God would deliver them with or without Esther. Here is a promise that we can take to the bank. God will provide. So what does God say in light of this promise? He says, seek first the kingdom of God. So what does this look like? Well, the example he gives is this, sell your possessions and give to the needy. There couldn't be a suggestion more powerful in light of what he said not to be anxious about in the previous verses. You have someone who is anxious about provision being told instead to sell all their stuff and give it to those who are in need. And all this leads up to a final conclusion uh, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, your heart is reflected in the things that you value most. And so looking back to even our story in Esther, Mordecai and Esther cared most about God and his people, and they were both willing to risk their lives in light of that truth. And so the question is, what matters most to you and I? What might God be asking you and I to put on the line for him? We're not to be anxious about our own needs. We're to be thinking about the kingdom first because we believe the promise that God will provide for us. And so let's jump to 1 Thessalonians 3, the entire chapter. And we really, you know, we want to read this in light of what we talked about yesterday. I had a little bit of a challenge yesterday to say, who are your Thessalonians? Well, I have a little bit of a different challenge this time. And there's a section here starting in verse six. It says this, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. You know, praise God for godly relationships. I was reading this and just praising God for those people in my life that are such an encouragement. I think about the encouraging people that he's put in my life and I'm comforted like Paul here. It encourages me to soldier on, so to speak. It encourages me to want to be used by God like like in our story we've been talking about all today, like Esther and to seek the kingdom first. Uh, believing in the promises of God, that he will deliver me from my sin now and in eternity. Uh, It helps me to focus on the most important things that I read in scripture, the most important things that are most important to God. Praise God for those relationships in our life. And so yesterday I challenged you to ask, who are your Thessalonians? And today I want to issue a slightly different challenge in light of today's passage. I want you to pray about who you can be a Thessalonian to. Who in your life would be encouraged by the good news of your faith and love? Perhaps by picturing that person uh, or people, it's a source of accountability or even some fuel to say, keep going, stay strong in the Lord, seek the kingdom of God first. Now imagine if that person or people went away for a while and couldn't communicate with you. What would you want them uh, to find you like when they returned? 
just like Paul, when he gets this message uh, back from Timothy that the Thessalonians are doing well, uh, that they are, uh, that he's comforted about uh, their faith and their love. That's what we want to think about when we think about who we're going to be the Thessalonians to. My prayer is that these people in our lives, they would find us as sharp, polished tools that are useful for the work of the Lord and that we would be ready to walk in faith, seeking the kingdom first, abounding in love. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.